Welcome into the Yachts and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pray, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Tuesday edition. And we are starting to turn that page from that horrific Saturday night in Salt Lake City. But before we can do that, we have to give you some information that we've gleaned from about a 45-minute conversation with Mario Cristobal and his two coordinators, Tim DeRuiter on defense and then Joe Moorhead on offense. And I think, guys, the, the overwhelming theme is that no one in that program is happy as they should be. They're all pretty pissed off. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were all pretty much in agreement that, hey, like there were very little positives to glean from that film review. And, you know, the, to hear them find the positives and what those were, you could tell this this program as a whole is pretty pissed off, which to me, I want to know how this team's going to respond on Saturday against Oregon State. Yeah, I think early indications are positive. I asked Mario about, okay, what do you do with game type like this? You lose a game 38-7, to 7, do you burn it? Do you just say it's in the past, or do you guys focus on it like any other thing? And, and he said that's what they do. They, they are going to look at this game tape. They're going to pull it apart. You can't ignore it. You can't pretend it didn't happen. thought all of that made sense. I was curious. I mean, this, there, there has not been a loss like this one, really, yeah. for Mario Cristobal. Um, you go back to the 2018 season, they lost by 29 points in Tucson. It's probably the closest thing. But that was a game where the stakes were so different than this. There was so much more on the yeah. line here. And to just totally flop like they did, you could tell no one is happy about. It. And I think Mario was very upfront. Seems like he has been the last couple of days just about what this loss means, what it indicates, how nobody was prepared, how nobody played well. There was, I mean, like you said, Matt, like there was not really any positives he or the coaches tried to take away from this for the most part. It was basically we can't play like that. There's too much on the line. It's too big of a spot. And if we play a similar game like we just played, we're going to expect similar results. So, um, you know, I asked also about the plane ride back from Salt Lake. I remember one of the things coming out of the loss in 2019 to Arizona State, which was which was similar in terms of removing them from the college football playoff last couple of weeks of the regular season on a road game in November. And he said the, the flight back was very similar from Salt Lake as it was in 2019 back from Tempe and pointed to the fact that if there's anybody on that flight that's feeling okay about it or good about it or that they're not bothered by it, then they need to find another flight home, basically. I thought that was pretty strong and telling from him. Um, and, and also just the culture. I asked about that, and both he and Joe Moorhead said they felt good with what they had seen the first couple of days coming back from this, that the leadership of this team was coming through, that people were, you know, had the necessary amount of frustration and anger and disappointment. And it was, you know, they're going to channel that and turn it into something special this weekend. So, Everything that was said was felt good, right? And I, I think from a culture perspective, I don't doubt for a moment this team is going to have its head on straight. My question is, can they beat Oregon State, even if they are playing with their head on straight, given some of the personnel issues they're dealing with from an injury perspective? And just given the fact that Oregon State's not a bad football team at all. It's a yeah. team that's playing much better right now than they had a couple of weeks ago. They had a couple of tough, tough outings, games I think we were disappointed in that they lost just because it was teams that we – didn't necessarily think we're going to be capable of beating Oregon State, but the last two weeks have been significantly better, and they're coming into this one coming off a pretty darn impressive home win over an Arizona State team who, like Oregon, has a pretty decent offense, has some really good defensive players, and can, on any given Saturday, give anybody a tough game. And I thought Oregon State kind of put them to bed you know, by the time the third quarter wrapped up. Yeah, I think it's really important that from Cristobal and Moorhead saying that they've liked what they've seen around the program since the loss. Um, I wrote about that in my Mac Nations column on Monday. 
Um, this is a loss that can definitely change a program, especially just a season. I'm not saying like the entire thing, but definitely the season and how players you know, show up to practice, how they get their work done, uh, how they do their workouts, how intense they are. Um, you know, you can learn a lot about a program just on like a week after a game like this. And, you know, certainly doesn't make it any easier that now they have a Pac-12 championship game spot on the line against Oregon State. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the, that's the type of culture that Mario Cristobal has established at Oregon. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them come out how they normally do and, you know, come with a lot of passion and intensity because that's just the teams that Mario has built. Um, so looking forward like to the week, um, it'll be interesting to talk with a bunch of players as well and just hear what they have to say about it all. Um, I thought it was, Eric, like you were saying, I was really telling when Mario was like, if you're having any fun on the plane, you need to go find another plane ride home. Um, that's what I would want to hear out of my coach. Um, that's the type of standard that Mario holds his team to. Um, and that's the type of standard he should hold his team to, especially with their college football playoff or title aspirations. Um, and again, they were right in the thick of things, obviously. Um, a lot's changed over the last 48 hours, though. It's going to continue to change. It'll be interesting to see where Oregon ranks in the college football playoffs today on Tuesday. So it's so far, it's they've seemingly passed a test in terms of how they've responded. Um, certainly, it'll be the, the, the test will come on Saturday against Oregon State because they absolutely need to get up for that game. They cannot have another stinker performance against Oregon State because that's another team while aren't as talented as some other Pac-12 teams. They're very well coached. Jonathan Smith's done a great job there. Um, and they, like you guys are saying, they do have a similar offense to Utah where they're, you know, run heavy, um, have a game managing quarterback. So uh, Oregon has to learn on some of the things. Um, I kind of anticipated a football guy response from Mario when it came to like, do you burn the tape? Do you bury it? Um, I really wanted him to be like, yeah, we, we took the football and we we buried it under Odson or some something like that. <laughs> this like straight football guy reasons. Uh, I'm a sucker for those type of stories, like Mike McCarthy smashing watermelons. I love it. Need some extra motivation. Now, from an injury standpoint, um, it does feel like at least early on in this week the Ducks may have dodged a little bit of a bullet. Um, and because Ro McKinley missed the second half of this game because of an injury. And I'll be honest, when that happened, I basically said that internally, game over. Um, they have no chance to stop Utah. Not that they were showing much of a chance anyways, but without probably your second most important defensive player on the team, it would be hard. And then the, then the next thought was, Hey, okay. Is he done for the years is what's, what's that mean? Because that safety group has been decimated by injury. There's not a lot of depth there, um, but we've gotten some clarity from Cristobal on Verona, as well as some other guys um, that are, you know, what their status is going into this game. Um, but most importantly, it doesn't sound like anyone else was really hurt. But, Jared, like you've got more information on that. Yeah, so on Monday, Mario met with reporters and you know, took questions and was asked about injuries. He said that Verona McKinley is 
good to go. Um, what that means, we'll, we'll see. Usually when Mario says somebody is good to go, they are good to go. It depends. Uh, sometimes they're not 100%, but they'll at least play. So I think we can all expect to see Verone on the field come Saturday. The only one in my mind, sorry to cut you off, that just no, no somebody on the board asked, like, what does it mean when he says good to go? The only instance I can think of all fall was the Alex Forsythe, the one yeah. where he said yeah. the guy's good to go and then he's not. So this is typically a very good sign on Monday right. to have that set. Sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to get right. that out. And Forsythe was like a back injury, which can flare up more often than not. Uh, Verones looked like a shoulder, like an upper body thing. Um, took a took a big hit from uh, Tavon Thomas and another Oregon defender. Just kind of a big collision. Um, but uh, Mario went on to mention how Ryan Walk is still going to be out a couple of weeks. It's not unexpected. Uh, he said that Steve Stevens will be out. Um, we don't know what or the severity is for either of those injuries. Um, we have seen Steve Stevens at practice in a heavy brace on his right leg. Uh, I remember Mario describing it um, the week following that it was like hyperextension of his knee and he'll be evaluated, but he didn't play against Washington and will be out again this week against Oregon State. Uh, he also mentioned that Keon Ware Hudson is going to be out. Um, I'm not really sure of what his injury is. Uh, I don't know if I can even trace back to when it happened. Um, he hasn't Max played the Torres. last couple of weeks. I, I don't Yeah, Mac, Max Torres at Ducks Digest was asking me after the Washington game if Keon played, and it, it, he went through his pictures and he didn't even travel. So right. that's the first time I realized it. So he hasn't played since, I guess, before Washington. Um, um, he, so was, he was notably kind of limping around for – like right around the Cal game for about two weeks. Yeah. And then I don't know how much he played against Colorado, but yeah, the big one was he didn't travel to Washington. He hasn't played since. Yeah. And uh, the other injury, or there are two more injury notes, excuse me, but one of them was on DJ Johnson, who Mario listed as day to day. Uh, DJ hasn't played in two straight weeks, starting with Washington State and obviously this past weekend against Utah. Um, which could be another reason as to why Oregon didn't establish the run early. DJ is one of their best run-blocking tight ends, probably their best run-blocking tight end for sure. And then lastly, uh, Mario just quickly noted that Anthony Brown was good. Uh, Brown was like visibly limping uh, against Utah. He was sacked and just – or no, he threw the ball away and he got pulled down and his leg bent underneath him. Didn't really look like a great – uh, great fall could certainly have resulted in an injury, but uh, Cristobal noted that he's good and that he's healthy. So uh, that, that's it. That's all, folks. That's all for the injuries, other than all six or seven other guys who are out for the year. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> more than that. It's, <laughs> that uh, we should do a tally one day because it's not a bad. There's a lot. Yeah, I think we'd like. I think. I may have one of the uh, flip cards from the Fresno State game. Yeah, go through that. Oh, I, I would love that. to. I have to go when I get back from Vegas. I'd love to get get that. See if I can find it and just cross out all the guys that are listed as starters or second string guys that are no longer able to play because um, it, it's got to be pretty substantial. It might be double digits. It probably is. And if and you could even if you even included guys like Patrick Herbert, Easily. who were supposed yeah, yeah. to be in the rotation, who got hurt in camp, there's a, you know a couple of those guys as well. 
one of them came back, Jackson the Duke, but for the most part, yeah, no. It's it's been a year from an injury perspective. I think Anthony Brown's injury is one to monitor. Cristobal, like Jared said, Cristobal said he's healthy, but you guys had a better sense of it um, there in Riding Cycle Stadium, and then you guys spoke with him after the game, but it was evident in that second half he was dealing with something. And my question is, is this like a, hey, I got a bone bruise. I'm, you know, I basically was playing with a Charlie leg, you know, for a a half. And two days later, it kind of starts to go away and it's fine. Or is this something that it's, it's going to be lingering against Oregon State because if he can't be effective running the football, this offense is going to slug down into first gear in the worst possible time. I think it's a legitimate question, Matt. And I, I am not at all surprised that Mario wouldn't – like unless Anthony Brown has an injury that's going to force him to definitely yeah. miss the rest of the year, he is not going to say anything about that. And Anthony was asked how healthy he was. He hesitated. You can go check out the video I posted on YouTube. He hesitated. Basically said, I'm not making any excuses. You know, my health is whatever. I've got to, be, I've got to play better. The team needs to play better. I get the sense. I can't remember, Jared, if I said this on the podcast or if I said it to you prior or after about, like, are we going to be stunned if it turns out Anthony's dealing with, like, a, a, a some sort of minor knee injury that would typically cost a quarterback a game or two early on in the season, but because we're at this junction or the juncture of the season, you can't do that. I'm, I'm not going to be surprised at all if it is like after the year it leaks out that, oh, he suffered some sort of minor sprain or, or maybe yeah. even more serious than that because I didn't see any explosiveness or even any willingness to try to run and move the ball down the field with his legs. And I'm with you, Matt. Like We can transition a little into some Oregon State stuff, but if you have Anthony Brown, let's be honest about it. You know, it, the thing that he does that's most valuable to this team is with his legs. Yeah. And if you remove that pretty much from its entirety from him, that really handcuffs what he can do. He's not going to be effective. I mean, we, yeah, he, he really wasn't effective for most. I mean, it was, it was notable that on the very first drive of the game, well, Oregon's second drive, but the, the first one they had some success that the first two first downs they picked up were off of quarterback design runs with Brown where he ran pretty well. And I don't know if I can think of another designed run or scramble even after that. I mean, he ended up with like nine rushes, but three of those were sacks, I think. And um, I actually can think of one other one that went for nothing. It got stuffed at the line of scrimmage on a second down play, like in the second quarter. But like they didn't run any design runs. And if, and if he's got a, a significant injury, he can't run. Like, boy, that really puts your offense in a tough, tough spot. There was a play in the second half where he had the first down. He needed like three or four yards, and he got about two yards up the field and then ran sideways to the sideline. It was like one of those, like, why why are you doing this? Like, the the first down's right there. You're there. But it's because, like what you were saying, he had no explosiveness, and it just just didn't feel right how that play transpired. That's a good point, and this is this is going to be something I think you have to monitor and you have to wonder what is this 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 might be the biggest storyline now that I'm talking talking it through vocally of the week. We don't know, and that's the hard part. Like Jared, I mean, you, we were both there. I mean, and you haven't really weighed in entirely on what your perspective was, but 
like we kind of in the box were like, he's not really running. I mean, we, I know we turned to each other and we're like, he's just not a threat to do that. And that shifts what this offense can do so much. And I guess it brings us also to the point of like, if he's significantly handcuffed, is there any possibility they make a change in the game? Like what if Anthony Brown is just really ineffective? Do we, is there any possibility in your mind that we see it? another quarterback or are we just I know know you've said this before but if it's injury related and Anthony can't actually do a huge part of the offense are you just like as long as he's able to stand and catch the football out of the snap like he's going to be on the field and that's the that's the Mario Cristobal the perspective on this I mean didn't he play the second half of Utah sure yeah so I, I he would have to be missing a leg I think <laughs> because um from a passing perspective, yeah, AB's not the greatest. Um, he's still seemingly significantly better than anybody else that they have on the roster, or else the change might have been made earlier. Um, but, yeah, if he's limited to an injury on how much he can run or his explosiveness, it's definitely going to you know, hinder Oregon's offensive potential against Oregon State. Um, I just I don't anticipate a move being made unless it is a serious injury. And we have no idea what the injury is. We can all speculate, and it's probably some. It's either I don't remember what leg got rolled up, but it's that leg. That's that's the issue. I'll tell you what. Um, um, yeah, and yeah. you know he he wasn't running a lot uh, in general. Oregon wasn't running a lot in general either against Utah. But in the first half, he had a few good runs, and then that was it. And so maybe something flared up in the first half again. Um, Brown has battled lower leg injuries this entire season. Yep. Um, so, and clearly, like, when he's healthy, he is a good runner. And Oregon uses that to their advantage and RPOs and just design QB draws, um, having him scramble out of the pocket to complete complete throws and, like, little naked bootlegs, stuff like that. But I don't anticipate there being a change unless it is actually a serious injury and that he's just so immobile. It's like Matt Ryan out there. And they just can't do anything. The most sackable quarterback of all time. Here's the question then. Can Oregon's offense be effective? Do you trust the offensive line's ability against Oregon State's front seven? Where the zone reads, the power runs. OSU doesn't have to worry about the quarterback. Can Travis die, Byron Cardwell, with the help of the offensive line and tight ends, block well enough where, where uh, Brown doesn't have to be a threat to run the football? That I, I don't know. I don't know if they can. Yes. That's a huge question because you're saying yes, like you feel like it can't I'm happen. Say, I'm saying yeah. Good. I I think that Oregon's offensive line is good enough um in general. Obviously, it gives the, the defense one less thing to think about, which is never helpful. Um, but I like the combination of Travis Dye and Byron Cardwell. Um, I think that you, Oregon State's defensive front seven isn't as physical or as tough. Eh, I'm sure they're tough, but as physical or as strong and as can make as much as a push as Utah's front seven. I think that was the biggest issue where um, Oregon, they, if you look at the yards, like the average, they did well on the ground, but at that for most of the game, 90% of the game, Oregon was fighting an uphill battle and they, they couldn't run the ball. That it just wasn't, wasn't going to work. Um, if they go out against Oregon State and, and establish the run to start, uh, I think they can have success. Um, I do think that it would obviously would be more successful if Anthony Brown could run the ball. But if he's hindered, if he can't, if he's not as explosive, um, 
it'll hurt, but I still I still have confidence in Oregon's offensive line in terms of you know creating holes for Cardwell or you know getting out in space for Die on a screenplay, something like that. Uh, I think they'll work around it. Um, I think they the fact that the injury happened mid game didn't help Oregon's offensive staff um, try to formulate a whole new game plan while down twenty eight and. I think this week they they'll plan for that if Brown like during practice shows that he doesn't have explosiveness or that he's you know significantly limited in his offensive potential on the ground. One thing I'll say is we're talking about being uncertain about what Oregon's offense looks like without a Brown who's mobile and again that's speculative. Maybe he'll come out and run for hundred yards. Maybe he'll be right. yeah just fine. The other part here is you're talking about facing an Oregon State defense, which has made some big changes recently. They yeah. changed their defensive coordinator. Um, they, were, they removed Tim Dibisar as their defensive coordinator. Trent Bray has taken over the last two weeks. Performed really, I mean, a lot better than they were. I mean, it's pretty clearly some changes have been made and some from a statistical perspective, it's worked out. And I wonder, you know, what kind of challenges does that present for an Oregon offense that right now has to find its own answers and facing a defense from Oregon State that really impressed me against Arizona State. You know, I, I, I know I picked the Beavers in that game to win. I did not expect them to kind of dominate, and that's what it was. They allowed 10 points to an Arizona State offense, which has scored pretty effectively against almost anybody in this conference. And so that part gets me a little worried. And, and also, you look at Oregon State defensively, I'm not going to say they're Utah. I'm not going to say they're UCLA. I'm not going to say they're as good as Oregon in terms of a talent perspective, but it's a veteran group. And it's a lot of guys who've played a bunch of snaps there. And Avery Roberts is one of the more experienced guys in this conference from an inside linebacker perspective. They've got some beef up front. So, like, it, it's significant. If Anthony Brown can't run, that's a problem. And we'll see what happens. I mean, I think this is, the, this is as Matt said earlier, as we've been talking this out, feels like one of the bigger narrative storylines from this game is what's out Anthony Brown's health? If he is going to play, which I think we expect, I think we'd be stunned if there's yeah. a change of course, unless it's like they get an MRI and it's like oh, he's torn his ACL and he's not going to play anymore. Right. It's 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 the big question. And if he can't run, I probably have more doubts than Jared does about this offense's ability. I won't say they will, as, as Jared said, they will shift. They will, I'm sure, have far fewer RPOs, zone reads, where Anthony Brown has to have the ball. If he can't run effectively and he can't get hit too many times, and you don't have him keying that stuff. It's going to be more straight. You know, it's not going to be option stuff. It's going to be this is a designed run play off tackle, uh, between tackles, etc. This is going to be a sweep. This is an end around, etc. Take the options out of Anthony Brown's hand. I'm sure they'll be more effective there. But one of the things that really was so notable, you think about against Washington, Washington State, UCLA, in particular, was how effective he was running the ball. In, mm -hmm. in crucial parts of the game and the yards he was able to pick up and how that changed things for the defense. So his offense is clearly at its best when he's effective running. And I have some concerns if that's not going to be a component the offense has going forward. We haven't even gotten to the side of the, the other side of the football where Which also, yeah. Oregon State is, I don't want to say they are a carbon copy of Utah. Um, I think Utah has the better athlete from a man-to-man -man perspective. But that's that's also not overlooked this offense. I mean, they're third in the in the conference in scoring ahead of Oregon. They're first in the conference in rushing yards ahead of Oregon per game. 
they're second in the conference in yards per carry ahead of Oregon. This is an offense that I mean, Tim DeRuiter said it. There's there's a lot of similarities between Oregon State and Utah, and the, all three coaches mentioned that if they're so worried about what happened in Utah, Oregon State's going to make them pay. And the the biggest fear here is is what happened at Utah is the strengths of what Oregon State will want to do on Saturday: power run game, good running, uh, good offensive line, and tight ends that are mobile and big. And then you've got a quarterback that that's a gamer. Yeah. No, I think there are definite similarities, definite similarities between these two teams. Agree, Utah's more talented on the offensive line at quarterback, at running back. Wide receiver, actually, this is funny. I was just doing uh, my weekly running through the former recruits type of thing for the opposition. Oregon State has nine four-star recruits, all of which were transfers, by the way. They didn't haven't signed a four-star during all of Jonathan Smith's tenure, who's at least on the team now. Five of them are former top 150-ish recruits at wide receiver. And three of them play a lot. So they actually do have some talented guys. Actually, guys Oregon knows pretty well. Like a Trayshawn Harrison, who was one time an Oregon commit, and a Ty John yep. Lindsay. There's your snap of the fingers there. Was that some sort of drinking game for you, Jared? Anytime Trayshawn's name gets brought up? No, I, I like Trayshawn Harrison a lot. <laughs> so I'm so Oregon State. He's played quite well this year. He's, Ty, he's John, good. Ty, yeah. John, Ty John Lindsay, another one. So and that's just a couple that they, they they do have some talent out wide that will potentially cause problems. But I'm with you, Matt. Like what they do is somewhat similar to what Utah does. And, you know, I think the thing that was really frustrating, and Oregon coaches have said the same thing, was their inability to get off the field on third down. But mm -hmm. both Cristobal and DeRuiter pointed to the fact that that was set up by not great play on first and second down. Now, yeah. I didn't remember a lot of them being third and one, third and two, third and three, but it was a lot of third and four through six. And that means you're not – dominating on first and second. And I think Oregon will have to be better on first and second down. And those are traditionally run plays, which like Matt is suggesting is where Oregon state is really good. BJ Baylor will probably be a first or second team all conference running back this year. I would bet pretty good money. Yeah. On it. Um, the hand fill. Utah had 14 third down attempts. Six of them were third and shorts between the yardages of one and four. They went four for six on them. They only had one third down at long, which is nine plus yards. That's the issue. And both Ruder and Cristobal, Eric, like you mentioned, had they they set that first and second down, their inability to make any effort and you know, stopping stopping Utah for a gain of zero or forcing an incomplete pass was, you know, was the crux of their inability to stop Utah on third down. Um, it certainly seemed like that while watching the game uh, and Oregon state will try to take advantage of that again. Um, you know, we've talked at length on this podcast about how good Oregon's rush defense is. I still think they're a good rush defense, but the uh, you going back to back with Utah and Oregon state, who are two of the top three, I would say two of the top three pac 12 rushing offenses, Oregon included as the third person, was, the third team. I was going to say um, the two best not named Oregon. Yes. Um, they're going to try and take advantage of that. And again, um, Oregon has had a lot of a lot of trouble with uh, 12 men personnel, 13 men personnel, um, like our good friend James Crepe of the Oregonian likes to talk about all the time. Uh, and you, uh, excuse me, Oregon State's going to show that again. Uh, I think obviously Utah's tight end personnel are more talented 
than Oregon State's with Keithy, but uh, no, they're they're dangerous weapons. Uh, Tim Deruder talked about it today, and you know gave them a lot of credit. The tall, lanky guys. Um, so it's it's going to be a struggle for Oregon to, you know, they they can't have the same kind of game plan as they had against Utah. That's just not going to work. Um, Oregon State, like Matt was saying, all the stats about them being a good offense, like that's legit. They're a good offense. They've been a good offense basically all year long. Their issue yeah. has been on the defensive side. Like they've scored enough points to win most of their games. It's just that they've allowed the other team to score more than them, which fun fact is how you lose a football game. Um, <laughs> but breaking news. <laughs> yeah, I know. So yeah, Oregon has to learn. They have to they really have to make some adjustments in how they are going to scheme Oregon State. Um, this is why you pay Tim Druder the big dollars. This is now their most important conference game. Last week it was the most important conference game. It now translates to this week. Um, so, yeah, Oregon State is not a team to be disrespected this year. Uh, obviously, in years past, Oregon State has not been a great football team. We all know that. Um, I'd like to say, like, this isn't your father's Oregon State, but I, I, I'm not old enough to remember when Oregon State was in, like, the 80s or something. But this is a different type of team. They're good. They should be respected. And this is a, a rivalry game. It's a huge game for Oregon. This could be this could be close throughout, or maybe Oregon gets thrashed again. Who knows? It's going to kind of end it there of just after having another day um, to kind of stew on Saturday's loss and an opportunity now to to hear from probably, you know, the, the three coaches that have the most impact on this program from a schematic and from a building perspective of Cristobal, Moorhead, and DeRuiter, just confidence level. Does it change at all? I, for me, it doesn't. I, I'm, I still think this is almost like a 50-50 game in my eyes. Yeah, I don't. No, nothing changes for me. I mean, like the Verone thing is a is a positive. Obviously, if you don't have him, that is really big. As you said earlier on the show, Matt, he's one of your most valuable players on this team. He's one of the best players on this team. Not having him is impactful because of his talent. It's also impactful because of how valuable he is pre-snap and getting everything set set up. And the replacement behind him is going to be either a converted corner in Triquez Bridges or a true freshman in Damon David. So the drop off is big. Um, his return gives me maybe like a, a, a small, a little bit of an increase in confidence because without him, I think things feel a little bit worse. Um, nothing else that was said is going to change my opinion that much, though. Like, I mean, words are words. I need to see action. And I think I, I didn't, I mean, I certainly didn't feel worse. I mean, I didn't come away being like, oh man, Mario seems like he's kind of lost it. He's saying all the wrong things. I, I liked what he said, I, I appreciated his sentiment. I thought. You know, I asked him three questions about kind of culture and team building and kind of where the team's head was at. And I'll have a story up on DuckTerritory.com probably by the time you're listening to this um, that'll outline a lot of that. But I thought his answers were all good. I didn't have an issue with any of those answers. I thought it seems like they're headed in the right direction. But you can say so much in a week in a Monday press conference, it doesn't have a whole lot of an impact to what's going to happen on Saturday. So slightly better just because of Verone, it sounds like will be available but nothing else really shifts. I need to see you know, some improved play. And frankly, I need to see better execution on third down defensively and then on offense on in the red zone. Like, I think those are the two things. And special teams is just a whole mess. But offense, defense, I think there are two pretty clear things 
that I, I'm focused on and I'll be focused on on Saturday, and that's can you get off the field on defense and offensively, can you actually score some points when you get the ball in the red zone? Because that was – both of those right. were just dreadful showings in, in key parts of the game. And you think about it, if you hold Utah to, let's say, 7 out of 14, 50%, so you get four, you know, four more times, you either force them to go for it on fourth or force a punt, the game shifts a little there. And let's say you make a touchdown and a field goal out of those three red zone trips or, or, or you know borderline red zone trips in the first half, I'm not saying Oregon wins, but you feel a little different right now, and maybe it's a little bit more competitive score, and you come away going like, okay, you have a little more optimism. So um, I'm trying to be a little bit glass half full and saying that there's, like, if they do follow through with these things, the team still can be okay, but there's a lot of things. I mean, they got to play a little bit better than that to, to really drive my confidence level through the roof. Yeah, there's not a lot that can be said during press conferences that'll, you know, really raise your confidence um, unless – like we said, all the all the injured guys are suddenly back. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mario, all the coaches said the right things, or you know what you a would expect to hear from a Mario Cristobal-led staff, and uh, b what you're hopeful to hear. Like, there's no dismissing of the game. Uh, every all, all the coaches just said, you know, this is stuff you got to learn from. You, know, you can't just burn it or bury the tape. Uh, you have to watch it. You have to go through it and learn from that. Um, obviously getting Vern back is really helpful. Um, he's one of their best defenders. He's probably their best secondary players. Um, he's, you know, instrumental to this team. So having him back will obviously be a huge upgrade over Bridges or David, like Eric mentioned, but I mean, going forward, you know, this is a, this is going to be a close game. Uh, Oregon State's a good team. Like I was saying before. So Oregon obviously has to come out of the ground um, with the hair on fire and really try to get out to an early start and you know, control the game at the line of scrimmage in the trenches, which they lost against Utah. Um, yep. It's going to go for us here on this edition of the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll have some other interviews later on this week. Uh, Angie Machado, Beaver Blitz will come on the show. We've also got our preview show. We'll also run around the Pac-12 uh, as well. So until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.